And so we think we're in the early innings. We think there are, you know, at least 10 or 20 more years of changes within fintech. And we believe that it's it's all for the better. I mean, it's a sort of a win-win-win, whether the customer's a consumer, or an SMB, or a large enterprise. The solutions that are being brought to bear uh, tend to make for a more efficient and optimized outcome. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fintech Leaders, a weekly podcast where we learn from today's global leaders in fintech, business, and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. If you enjoy this conversation, I encourage you to share it and please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows so more people can learn from it. My guest today is Patricia Camp, co-founder and managing partner at Oak HCFT, a venture and growth equity firm investing in companies driving transformation in healthcare and fintech around the world. Founded in 2014, the firm has over $5 billion in assets under management and has backed fintech companies like Blend, Ocrelus, Clearco, Rapid, Pagaya, Aplazo, and many more. In this episode, we discuss spotting and identifying fintech trends and how Trisha and the Oak team think about the future of the industry, the state of the crypto market, and why Trisha believes stronger regulatory frameworks would be beneficial and help foster innovation in the crypto industry, buy versus build, why it's likely we will be seeing a wave of fintech M&A activity in 2023 and what should company leaders keep in mind? Building a team of investors, the importance of over-communicating, and a lot more. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with Trisha from Oak. Well, Trisha, welcome to the Fintech Leaders Podcast. It's good to be talking to you again. Uh, how, how's it going today? Well, well, thank you, Miguel. It's it's Friday afternoon, so nice weather, crisp fall day in the New York area. So everything is going well, thank you, and a pleasure to reconnect. Absolutely, absolutely. This time uh, remotely, but I, I hope to see you again in person soon. Uh, Trisha, let's let's jump right into it. You have a lot to say, and and we all want to hear about about your story. Uh, tell us about your career as an investor, particularly when it ref- as it refers to fintech. And, and since you are probably one of the most experienced fintech investors, tell us what have been the biggest changes in the asset class you know, throughout your career? Uh, sure. So I'm originally from Los Angeles. And after business school, I had an operating role for, you know, 10, 11 years in a company that was servicing financial services companies. So I was in an operating role in and around solutions uh, related to fintech before I made the jump to investing. And I think that has greatly helped me. And, you know, I'm not going to say how long time has passed, but a lot of time has passed. But 
understanding what the ecosystem players, understanding whether it's banks, insurance companies, capital markets players, asset managers need, payment providers need, is really key in kind of understanding where fintech is going and what kind of solutions might be best positioned. If I was going to say what's changed you know, over the period, as we all know, the word fintech didn't used to exist. Um, and uh, and really came into its own as as an industry, a large industry, you know, over the last, we'll call it decade. Um, I think what's changed, and it's probably changed across many industries, is that it, there, there's such specialization. So as an investor, if you weren't a specific fintech investor, I'm not sure how you would know enough um, to be helpful to your companies, to help a spot trends to understand where an industry or specific niche might be going. Um, I, I think it, I think it would be very difficult as everything has become more and more sophisticated to be more more of a generalist. Um, now there are lots of very successful generalist investors out there, and so they would probably disagree. But you know, fintech in particular is not even just one industry. Kind of the, the the needs, the solutions, the players, the the customers, um, the ecosystem in payments, in lending, in asset management, and in insurance uh, are all kind of different ecosystems. It's four, five, six ecosystems, and so I think you really kind of need to have built a knowledge base of who the players are, of who the customers are, of what the new solutions are in each of those ecosystems. You know, to be the best position. Is that only to be the best position to, to be a good investor, but to be the best position to sort of help and support, support you know, the entrepreneurial teams that you're partnering with. It's, it's funny. When you talk about generalist investors, you, you think of an investor covering all of tech, but you're saying there's even generalist fintech investors, and, and I, I get it. It's, a, it's an expanding category also. Crypto is now a huge part of it. Um, how did you find your voice in fintech and how did you kind of figure out what was what was your area and where are you going to kind of stake your claim? Well, we always just sort of looked at the trends, right? And, and what's happening. And, you know, many of these trends have been sped up by the pandemic. Um, but digitization, if you just want to take that as a big backdrop. Right. So the digitization of payments and consumer payments are first and B2B payments, as we all know, are somewhat lagging. And so you could sit there and you could say, OK, this is moving up and to the right and it's going to move farther and faster up and to the right. You know, the digitization of insurance, the digitization of uh, asset management. So many of these solutions are very similar in the sense that many of them are SaaS platforms, many of them are processing platforms, many of them are outsourced, you know, BPO type platforms. So what we tend to do and tended to do, you know, in the past is to say, okay, what are the big trends out there? And which trends do we believe, uh, you know, are moving faster and are more of a have to have, you know, a need versus a nice to have. Um, and which can be supported by, you know, next generation technology, next, you know, better use of data, a better AI engine, you know, or, or we could say a better quantum engine. Um, and so which are the, are the solutions that will kind of further the optimization, the efficiency and the digitization of a delivery of a service? Um, you know, all is driven by the backdrop and you could say mission. 
um, of you know financial services being delivered uh, faster, more transparently, uh, more fairly, more broadly uh, than they have in the past. And that is not just payments and lending. It's, it's all the other categories. And as, as everything, again, becomes more digitized, Miguel, you then have new needs. As we all know, fraud, risk, identity, compliance. Um, and so I, I think if you start with the assumption all you know, many of these categories are going to become digitized over time, some might be faster than others, right? Some might be more effective, more digitized than others. But if you start with that as a backdrop, you then figure out, okay, what are the solutions that make it a win-win-win for everybody? All right. So, so that's, that's all fantastic. But uh, how about, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about one of the nuances of our industry that is, is unique not only to fintech, but uh, is unique to just a few categories. And, and that's obviously regulation. And almost 100% of fintech companies have to deal with it. Uh, I know you look at crypto, and we've talked about this offline. Uh, do you think that regulation and clearing up any ambiguity within the space is important to, to drive innovation? So first of all, we tend to always kind of support companies that are, you know, very much in a black and white world. You know, they're not in any kind of gray category. And we believe it is an advantage and an asset if you are front and center with any regulators. Um, we believe that's a, that's a positive. We also believe, as you kind of implied, Miguel, that I think that clearing up any concerns in you know the, the digital asset world and the crypto world is going to advantage everybody. You know, it's 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 uh, ambiguity does not help innovation. Now we don't think you know developer activity will slow down, but we think that having kind of agreed upon regulatory frameworks would be beneficial. You know, especially with integrations into to Web two more traditional companies. You know, especially in regards to tokens. You know, which are going to be treated as commodities or currencies, and which are going to fall uh, fall under different regulatory bodies. So, our belief is ambiguity does not help, um, and that the more clarity will uh, continue to attract more interest in the industry. Uh, although we do think developers are, are in the industry, and we do think people are interested. So, I, I come from the banking world. I spent uh, close to a decade in, in banking, and I'm still very close to uh, several bankers, both working in large banks and small banks. And regulated banks, they actually, they're very close to regulators in terms that th there's there's always a dialogue. They're, they're always in communication. If that's not the case, at least always, for fintech companies, um, sounds like you definitely argue that 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 dialogue should exist. But why do you think most fintechs are not really talking to the regulators and, and how can we improve that? Uh, well, I don't know why they're not talking to the regulators. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I think they should be, Miguel. Um, I think that, 
you know, and, and fintech companies are different, right? So some fintech companies, many fintech companies, right, are technology solutions. So they're technology solutions that are selling to banks or insurance companies or other, and there's no need for them to talk to a regulator. Other fintech companies, you know, fall under a regulatory, a regulatory umbrella. And, you know, it, it's our belief that they should be talking to regulators. If, it, if it's just a tech offering and it has nothing to do with the regulator, yes, you obviously have to know the regulatory framework, but it's not critical to what you're doing. Other fintech companies that, that really will possibly eventually fall under a regulatory umbrella, you know, we believe should be talking to the regulators. I don't know the answer. One uh, of the things I was, I was mentioning is uh, offline is that uh, this week I had the opportunity to interview Matt Harris from Bank Capital Ventures. And one of the questions we talked about was about predicting the future, you know, whether that's the job of VCs or not. Uh, but the reality is that you have to, you're investing in the companies that you think are going to be dominating their space in a number of years, right? In, in three, five, 10 years. How do you at, at Oak, um, you know, kind of look at your crystal ball and, and, draw conclusions of, of where to invest, where the future is going. Uh, and, and Matt's a great investor and does this very well. Um, and, you know, Matt, like, you know, we do uh, participate, we participate in the industry. And I think this is, is a little bit related to the, the, the question about specialization earlier, Miguel. Many of our companies we know the buyers, we know the, the, meaning the customers, we know the customers, we know the large players, we know what the pain points are. We've talked to folks who have, you know, purchased their solution. We've talked to folks who purchased the solutions from competitive uh, providers. And when you participate in an industry and you, you know, you go to the conferences, you talk to people, you know, all the different categories in the ecosystem, you're much better positioned to figure out okay, here are pain points and here are pain points that might be solved soon, but here might be the issues in and around those pain points. So, you know, again, if you take as a backdrop that the, this indus these industries in and around financial services are going to kind of move forward in terms of digitization and efficiency and optimization, what you then kind of figure out is, okay, so where are the pain points in that and, and which portions of that is the adoption curve going to be greater or slower? And uh, and many times you find out about a potential portfolio company because you're talking to a customer about something else and you're asking who they use and you're asking what are the benefits. Um, and so I think as being participants in the industry, you're, you're very well positioned to sort of see what what's happening and you know wh what slices might go a different direction than others yeah so so what you're saying is you have to be very observant and really pay attention as to what's going on with the with the insiders with the buyers in the industry and then you can draw conclusions educated conclusions from that correct you're you're you're, you're informed and observant about the customers and you're informed and observant about what the customers need and whether the IT department might say, Oh, you know what though? That's not going to, 
be high enough on our list. It might be lower on our list. Um, you, you get a general sense of what's happening to all the different customer bases at, because, you know, we've all, we're all participating in the industry. And as you, as you participate in that, you, you get a great sense of what might be opportunities versus not. Speaking of, of the future, you invest in, in a lot of growth stage companies meaning they are closer to some sort of event, call it IPO, uh, call it M&A. Um, are you expecting uh, a, a rise of, of particularly M&A activity in, in the years to come, particularly in 23? Uh, so I think, you know, I mean, we will all see what happens, <laughs> you know, as we know. Um, but the answer is yes. And I think the answer is yes for a diff- couple different reasons. I mean, first of all, there are going to be some very good companies out there with great technology and great talent that uh, may be unsuccessful in their next fundraise or burning cash. So I think that there's going to be the opportunity for, for assets to be acquired by larger companies that they otherwise may not have been able to acquire. Uh, so, so that's number one. So I think there, I think there are going to be more assets available, and, and that's also a true statement as an investor, right? There, I think there's also going to be the opportunity to make some investments that may have been, you know, out of reach because of valuation in the past. Um, in addition, I think in many slices of the fintech world, I think there's a greater recognition um, that a point solution of a company or a point solution in itself, a piece of technology. It, it might be better off as part of a platform. So I think we're going to see more platform plays where, you know, additional point solutions are added and the whole is better than some of the parts. Um, and I think that, I think there's that sense as well uh, that will also make, uh, you know, for a ripe acquisition, you know, opportunity. What should acquisitive companies keep in mind before, actually pulling the trigger? Well, I think there are all the, the, the usual concerns about buy, buy versus build, right? What do we get by purchasing this? Um, and is it something, you know, do we save time? Do we save money? Do we get a competitive advantage? Do we get farther ahead? Do we have a piece of IP that would take us too long or we couldn't ourselves build? Um, but in, you know, there, there are all those issues, and, and and who who how's this how's the management team how are the people is it you know how's the talent but if it's an unprofitable asset if it, it I think that everybody is paying attention to their uh, you know their own profitability so I think that there is probably lots of discussion and concern around it's worth it you know by the time we have it incorporated into our platform it will be profitable etc. I wanted to talk about a, a, a subject that doesn't come up often with investors, but I think is very interesting. And it's about building a team, right? You you started uh, Oak with uh, your, I believe you were three co-investors, but now you're you're a much larger team, of course. And, and you've had to recruit some very savvy investors, that also align with your view of the world, your values. Maybe tell us about your approach to building a team 
uh, of investors? Uh, so I think it comes down to, to expertise, judgment, and similar values and approach. I think that's, that's correct, as you phrased it, Miguel. Um, I think that, first of all, anybody who's in our team is representing the firm. And so you would always want them to have the same values and approach and ways of interacting with you know, entrepreneurs and others that you yourself would have. Um, I think then you're looking for expertise and an interest in particular areas, you know, within the fintech world, does someone have an interest or expertise in, you know, asset management or, or insurance or, you know, business process services, for instance. Um, so I think you're looking for at least a knowledge base and, and um, you know, an understanding and network within particular verticals, perhaps. Um, and then, you know, thirdly, as we all know, a lot of good investing comes down to judgment. And so I think that you are figuring out and analyzing, is this an individual that not only kind of represents the firm, has the same value, values as I do, has a knowledge base that's additive to what we're doing, but then is going to have the same you know, reaction, is going to have the same impression and reaction uh, you know, in, in certain scenarios. And all that's hard to assess, but I think that's generally what you're looking for. Yeah, 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 and and how do you how do you assess that? Because I imagine uh, you personally, like all of us, have made some mistakes throughout your career, and you want your team to avoid those mistakes. But also, oftentimes, you don't learn if you don't make those mistakes. So, how how do you make sure that you're getting people with good judgment, and also, how do you kind of uh, help them avoid some of some of those mistakes? Well, we're, we're very communicative. So first of all, there are lots of mistakes made historically. There will probably be lots of mistakes made in the future. Um, but I believe, you know, in our approach is a team approach. It's not a siloed approach. So we have lots of conversations and we have lots of conversations early on about particular investments and particular theses and particular, you know, uh, management teams. And I think that, you know, from the most junior on up, uh, everyone then understands, okay, here's what our concern is here, or, you know what, that's a non-starter, so, so, you know, we should pass. So I think that it's, it's, you know, it's both communication during the hiring process to see if it's a team player and whether you can assess everything you and I just discussed. But then I think as a team, uh, again, we're very communicative and, you know, we all, we all win, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, as, as everybody says, you love you know, all your children, every one of our portfolio companies. And so um, uh, I think that communication, you know, uh, other people asking questions, assessment um, is, you know, helps the whole and helps the whole portfolio. Let's talk a little bit about the entrepreneurs. At the end of the day, it's all about the entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, and, and you... You at this point you've worked with and you've backed teams from very early stages all the way to IPO and, and beyond. Um, what what are like some of the things that have stood out over time that just don't change that great entrepreneurs always have in common? Uh, I think you would say passion. You know, energy and a mission 
Now, you know, our firms in two verticals, you know, healthcare and fintech that, that are very mission driven. Um, uh, but generally, uh, you know, and generally the, the, the superstar entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial teams um, really have a passion and energy to deliver what they're doing and are, you know, as we said, it all gets down to the people, you know, and, and are knowledgeable and educated enough about what they're doing in the industry such that, you know, they change and they pivot and they figure a way out of any tough situation. As we all know, things don't go as well as, as you know, expected, particularly with, you know, early stage companies. And so it's really having a CEO and a team that it is got all the parts needed in order to figure out, okay, what do we do now? And that's, that's generally, you know, judgment and passion and interest. Yeah, that, that, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and there, there's nothing to replace passion. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, what, when you think about next steps for, for Oak, I know you recently closed uh, your biggest fund yet. So a lot of dry powder. Uh, I'm sure you see a lot of opportunity. What, uh, what excites you the most about the, the space and, and about your role uh, within the industry? We think we're very well positioned. We think there's going to be lots of opportunities, you know, and we, you know, and, and you know this, Miguel, as a, another fintech investor, you know, the themes transition to full stack digitization, automated processing, the use of data analytics, you know, f- managing fraud, identity, compliance, security. All of these are, are desperate kind of, and desperate might be too strong a term, are, are you know, essential needs across the financial services ecosystem. And as we all know, all these capabilities are then going to be embedded into other uh, uh, infrastructure of other industries. And so we think we're in the early innings. We think there are, you know, at least 10 or 20 more years of changes within fintech. And we believe that it's it's all for the better. I mean, it's a sort of a win-win-win, whether the customer's a consumer or an SMB or a large enterprise. The solutions that are being brought to bear uh, tend to make for a more efficient and optimized outcome. Tricia, before I let you go, uh, one last question. What inspires you uh, throughout? You've had a a very successful career you you know seems like you are giving it your all every day you know and, and non-stop what what inspires you to go out in the field and just uh play at 110 percent every day uh well first of all i think i'm very fortunate we're all very fortunate um these are exciting times this is incredibly interesting you know, backing entrepreneurs who are kind of providing these services and solutions is, you know, compelling, interesting, and, you know, shows large changes that are happening in the world. So I'm just, you know, happy to be doing my part in supporting them to do this. It's a, it's an exciting ecosystem for sure. But uh, I, I want to thank you for spending this this half hour with us, Trisha, uh, and, and thanks for inspiring a lot of investors out there and uh, i'm sure we're gonna see some some exciting uh, moves from from oak in the years to come thank you miguel thank you 
Thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed this episode with Trisha, co-founder of Oak. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. And if you have any suggestions or thoughts about the show, please drop me a line on Twitter or LinkedIn. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.